Welcome to the PSR Power Talk podcast, produced by Power Systems Research. Hello, my name is John Krzyzewski with Power Systems Research. I'm a business development manager for the U.S. And with me today, I have Carrie Getz, who is a fractional CTO for multiple companies. Uh, she's been in the business for many years. Uh, she was also uh, voted as being one of the most influential uh, women in the tech industry in 2020. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the Internet of Things and its impact on smart cities, smart community, and industry, and love to get her uh, viewpoint on where she sees the market going. So, Carrie, thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, just let's start the conversation of, uh, you know, what are you, what are you seeing in the next uh, few years and what are some of your visions with uh, smart city and uh, some of the IoT uh, technology? Well, hey, John, thanks for having me f- to start. Uh, so IoT to me is, first off, I hate the acronym. Uh, I'm the first to tell everybody I hate the acronym because it says absolutely nothing and you can make it say anything that you want. But I think that when we talk about the Internet of Things, we have barely scratched the surface of where that's going to go. And there's this guy named Parkinson. He had two laws for um, the competing industry. One was for storage and the other was for bandwidth. And pretty much both of them say if you put it out there, they're going to fill them up. And I think we're kind of at that point with IoT where as more and more technology comes alive through the, you know, that's automated by sensors and artificial intelligence and machine to machine learning that we we have no idea where all this can go. I mean, we're barely scratching the surface and this could be all kind of things. So you're seeing these sensors for smart water meters and smart power meters. And, you know, that gets coupled with leak detection in somebody's house and, then from you know a smart city perspective, we can use it for security and finding adverse events like gunshots and you know having that control where the cameras zoom in and follow the noise and precision agriculture and how we're raising crops, figuring out the best water amount to put in the soil that won't deplete certain nutrients and you know the best day to make that water happen. And maybe it's not the same for the whole field. Maybe part of the field works differently than other parts of the field. And so it really allows us to get granular with some of the things we've been doing from an industry perspective and automation. I think, you know, robotics and what's happening with industry 4.0 is great. I think it's a great way for rural healthcare and people in the middle of nowhere to get access to healthcare. You know, there's a, there's a little device now, I'm sure you've seen the commercials. you can stick it on your iPhone and give yourself a, medical grade EKG on the spot sitting at your desk. So, you know, I think a lot of these technologies, you know, we, we just scratched the surface of where we can go with this stuff. So uh, there's, so again, there's just, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of information floating. Um, and every day we're hearing about new technology invading our, our cities and our, uh, our communities. So, so, you know, one question is, you know, where, where does all this data go? How does, how's it managed? Yeah, so that's a big one. Um, so there's there's different p- places you can push data, right? So some of some data doesn't need to be stored. If you a good example, if you go to the grocery store and you buy 400 items, the credit card company that you charge that to doesn't care what 400 items you bought. All they care about is that a transaction happened. Here's the approval code. Here's a card you're using. That's all that gets pushed. But if you think about it from the grocery store perspective, they want all of that information. They want to know everything that you bought. They, you know, 
down to the granular, not just for inventory, but sort of trends for the store. So they'll trend that they'll use your zip code to figure out the buying trends of people in those zip codes and, you know, different things to restock or maybe new products to bring on. So all of those are examples of that data being kind of all over the place, right? The corporate entity, if it's a multi-site grocery store, probably just wants the result sets. They don't need to know what time of day you bought or other things that might give information to other insights. And so all of those are places for data to go. So it could either be stored at the grocery store, right? Or at an enterprise level in the city for a smart city where the city controls the data center. It can also be at the edge. And at the edge, that can be a smaller data center, say, you know, sub sub one megawatt um, or somewhere in that range. Or it can be the larger enterprise data center we talked about or the cloud. And that can be the public cloud being AWS, um, Azure, Google Cloud Platform, any of the other IBM platforms. And that could be where you're using somebody else's hardware, you're just doing software licensing. And normally what's going to, what you're going to find is it's going to be some combination of those. There's no one size fits all. But we do know that moving into the cloud is very, you know pretty much nothing other than spinning up your instance. Moving around in the cloud and moving data out of the cloud is expensive. So if you try to figure out from an application perspective, what data are we gathering? What are we going to do with it? And where does it need to live? Then that starts helping feed your decision about where that data is going to be. Because, you know, these sensors put off continuous data. And it might be that you don't need to know that the temperature was 78 degrees every second throughout the day. You might want to know the average temperature. So that's two very different amounts of data. And so those are the kind of things and the decisions that I think are going to drive you know, how much is going to be at the edge and how much is going to be at a bigger data center. And at the edge, it might just be an all-inclusive device, like a little hive seller. It might be, you know, one or two cabinets out there. It might be a self-sustaining data center with immersion technology sitting out there that, you know, people are writing data to. It can be any combination of things. So I guess edge just really defines the location of the data being closer to the application and users that are going to use it. And I think we're going to see just large combinations of all of the above moving forward. So give me just a little more of a, you know, I certainly understand what the cloud is, but can you kind of just give me a little more definition around edge, edge computing and why is that important? So I think a great example is content delivery networks, all these streaming providers, you know, there's, it would be impossible for everybody to stream the latest Netflix movie, for instance, if we all jumped on the same Netflix server, there's not enough compute to make that happen. Mm -hmm. There's not enough bandwidth in that pipe to go in there to make that happen. We would all get that little spinning wheel continuously and, you know, our frustration levels would increase. And so what happens is they take copies of that movie and they spread it all over the place. And that's why you see like on Netflix, you'll see trending movies or trending this or that because they're keeping up with that themselves and they're figuring out what they need to push out to all of these other places. So it's like it's like Santa's helpers, I guess, is probably <laughs> the best way to put that, right? You got the main main dude in the North Pole, and he's got all these helpers that are running around listening to all these little kids. And so it's very close to the same kind of theory, right? As, as we have this data all over the place, we want to process what we need to at that location, and then you know, the rest goes somewhere else. Police cameras are a great example of that, right? You know, you want to know when that policeman has had an interaction, but there's a lot of data that's captured during the day that means nothing. 
So why do we want to send all of that to the cloud when we can process that locally and send the results that's to the cloud? Because now it becomes a very financial decision as opposed to a convenience decision. So you touched on a little bit about smart cities. What other industries do you see moving towards the edge and this type of, type of uh, infrastructure? So I think rural healthcare is a big example. Industry 4.0 is, you know, and what's going on with industry and robotics and how we, the amount of information that we want to capture for every single manufacturing line, it's, it's pretty insane. I think that education is kind of ripe for this, even if we do, uh, you know, smaller groups of schools, maybe um, doing some of the edge compute there. I think bridging the digital divide is, is a good one. I think that smart cities and smart communities, smart transportation are all part of this. Drone deliveries are certainly something that's going to use edge compute. I mean, you know, like I said, we're just touching the iceberg. If you could order a pizza and have a drone show up at your front door with that pizza, that'd be pretty cool. And, you know, the Jetsons, when we were growing up, a lot of these young kids probably don't remember that show, but, you know, you had the the maid that was really smart. You had meals instantly delivered. You had all this kind of stuff, you know, that was in the Jetsons house. And, and we're not, not too far off from some of those things coming true. Autonomous vehicles are a good example. And probably one of the ones that I think drive between content delivery networks and autonomous vehicles and, and fleet management those definitely are, are big drivers too, I think, especially for a lot of the areas where there is no connectivity and, you know, no signal, right? Yeah, you just you just touched on a couple of points I thought were interesting in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of data, a lot of connectivity, rural areas. Now, we also understand this is going to be a stress on, on power. Um, what is what is your vision on how to support uh, all this data, the data centers, the edge? And what do you see kind of happening in the future? Well, I think that edge data centers have a, a really cool advantage when it comes to power because it's a lot easier to do something at a small scale than it is a giant scale, right? So we're not mm -hmm. building 50 megawatt data centers at the edge. We're building sub one megawatt, which is relatively easy to power off of solar, renewable natural gas, or you know, one of those other wind farms, some of those alternative methods, because solar and wind take a lot of land. And if we're trying to do this at a smaller scale, it's easier. You know, you can put the solar panels on the roof of a smaller data center. You can use submersion cooling to make sure that the power demands are lower because, you know, the heat rejection is happening through liquid as opposed to air, which, you know, brings down the power requirements. So a lot of those things happen that I think are really cool. And we have to realize that, A, the grid is taxed. And a lot of places where these data centers go, there's not enough power to support that data center sitting in the middle of nowhere. So if I'm a farmer and I'm working on my precision agriculture and I've got, you know, sensors all over the fields and, and I've got data gathering requirements and I'm trying to sort out how to run my farm through all of this technology, I've got to have something that's going to process that for me. And I think that's where these edge either facilities or even compute devices really are going to come into play and be able to support that. But from a power perspective, really driving down the need to where we're not adding in things that draw power unnecessarily, that we're being the best stewards of power that we can. And I think the edge gives us all of those opportunities, again, because it's a smaller footprint. And I think it's easier to lather, rinse and repeat and do some innovation at that smaller scale. and 
you know, make those to be tried and true methods. Okay, great, great. Thanks for the insight. Uh, as we move along with the series, this is uh, the first series of, of hopefully many, but uh, we're going to take uh, take an opportunity to uh, address smart cities. Uh, we're also going to have some conversation around uh, agriculture, smart uh, smart manufacturing, smart healthcare as we uh, roll up these uh, these these podcasts. Now that you know to to uh, to finish off this podcast, you had mentioned uh, digital divide. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, can you give us uh, what's your viewpoint of the, the digital divide and how edge compute could help or could actually close the gap? Yeah, so the digital divide, I think, is massive and people don't realize, it, and it's not just rural areas, right? There's certainly rural areas where they're, they're dead signals. We all, we've all driven through those, you know, when the phone doesn't work, oh no, we got one bar, I'll have to call you back. That's the digital divide. And not just there, but even places where there may be internet, but it's insufficient to support things like streaming and actual internet use. So people having true broadband connections. And I think COVID really brought to light how big the digital divide is. And it certainly made it worse because a lot of people lost their internet uh, plans. You know, if, if they're not working, they can't pay for their internet plans. So what used to be one in 10 households, now they estimate to be closer to one in four households in the U.S. is living in a digital divide, which is pretty crazy. And that's people that don't have access to reliable broadband. And I think, too, we sort of highlighted how the oversubscription model of a lot of these providers is woefully negligent when everybody all of a sudden works at home. And so not just in the U.S., but if you get outside the U.S., the digital divide is pretty massive. There's entire countries that have maybe four Internet cafes sitting in cities that you go to and nothing outside of the main populace of a city. And so being able to bring this, I mean, I, you know, we've gotten to the point, I think, with Internet and information that this is really kind of a human right. You know, you should everybody should have access to be able to learn new things and everybody should have access to be able to schedule critical appointments and, and those deals. And so I think edge, as we start building out the edge, that gives us this huge opportunity because all of those edge data centers are going to be connected back to the internet. And all of these edge devices are going to be connected back. And as we start opening these up, which I think is absolutely going to happen, then we start healing some of this digital divide and people have access that didn't have access before. Microsoft is doing a big push right now, putting containerized data centers out in the middle of nowhere with satellite communications going back. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways for the bits to get from point A to point B, but certainly this digital divide is massive. I think that it changes the way people work. I think it changes the way that people go to school and learn and just the quality of life across the board. And my favorite part of tech has always been tech for good. And tech always figures out a way to solve its own problems. Although sometimes I think we solve other industries problems before we solve our own, but certainly having that digital divide <laughs> and people just having access to those resources is going to be huge. And we saw this in COVID. We saw what happened when, you know, churches were having to turn up Wi-Fi in their parking lot because there was communities that didn't have internet, but all these kids were expected to learn on the internet. And so all of those, I think it was kind of a, a really good shakeup as far as bringing attention to the fact that not everybody has those pretty basic services. 
Thank you for the insight, Carrie. That was a great overview of the digital divide. Well, that's going to conclude our podcast for today, but I would just want to send out a reminder that uh, we are going to be addressing, uh, again, smart cities, industry 4.0, smart ag, and some other industries as we uh, continue with the podcast series. Carrie, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate your insight um, and have a great uh, rest of your day. Yeah, thanks, John. Have a good one. To read a transcript of this podcast, visit the PSR website at powersys.com and click on the podcast archive. Thank you for joining the PSR Power Talk podcast. This podcast will be available on demand. Search for PSR Power Talk in your podcast app or Google Power Systems Research to sign up today.